Besides Nahum Siegel with another edition of JM Rewind. JM Rewind gives us an opportunity to check out some of the recent conversations we've had on JM in the AM. On a recent edition of JM in the AM, it was our Yom Ha'atzmaut special. Phil Rosen joined us to discuss the uh, incredible transition between Yom HaZikaron and Yom Ha'atzmaut through the history of his family. Phil Rosen, a recent guest of ours on JM in the AM. Here he is on JM Rewind on the Nahum Siegel Network. 73 years, pretty remarkable, pretty amazing. So I asked myself, what would be an appropriate way to kick off this year's Yom Hatzmaut special? And then yesterday, uh, and, and many of you commented on this, and I was flattered with the reaction we got to it. Uh, yesterday, I read the story as written by uh, our good friend Phil Rosen about his uncle Pinchas. Remember Uncle Pinchas? We discussed him yesterday, the survivor, a Polish refugee who arrived at the age of 25 in a dreamland of his that he called Palestine. Remember, this is after he was in Siberia, in camps in Cyprus. I mean, he was of a generation, he was from a large, large group of people in our Jewish history, in our Jewish community, that could not have felt that there was much hope, that could not have could not have uh, in any way been comforted that soon after this tragedy and disaster there would be a state of Israel. Could they even believe it? Could they even believe that there would be such a thing? Uncle Pinchas, as we said yesterday, and as Phil will discuss with us in a moment, uh, he, uh, he fought hard in the War of Independence. On the last week of the war, Pinchas Rosen was gunned down in Mishmar HaYadin, he was buried holding his gun, and his last words were, a Jewish soldier never leaves his weapon. Yeah, what a lesson we learn about that. We may need that lesson, by the way, in certain parts of the world very soon. Anyway, the bottom line is that uh, if you followed the miraculous tale yesterday on the air, Pinchas Rosen, who assumed he was the only survivor of his family, was not. He didn't realize that two brothers had survived and that they have, thank God, have seen generation now after generation living in the state of Israel and living in the diaspora as well. And uh, Phil Rosen on this Yom Mood is with us live via telephone. Phil, an absolute pleasure to welcome you on a day like today to JM in the AM. Good morning, Nassim, and thank you so much. Thank you again for reading uh, the poem story I wrote uh, many years ago, but I really I appreciate it. It uh, means well, a lot to me, and it uh, means a lot to me that I'm on the show um, on this, what I consider holy day. Well, my pleasure, and it, it really uh, gave us a uh, really an incredible. Um, it was an incredible addition to our Yom Hazikaron program, and, and and for obvious reasons. Phil, I asked you to come on toward the beginning of the show for one reason, for one reason, and that was to ask you one question: What would Uncle Pinchas say? What would he say if he knew that 73 years later, we are together, Jews around the world, not just in Israel, celebrating the most incredible state, the most amazing land, the most advanced country in the world, an absolute world leader and superpower in any category that you and I could bring up in this conversation? What would Uncle Pinchas say? It's not believable. It's clearly, you know, way out of the realm 
of anything anybody ever imagined. Um, the fact that I, I was reading this morning, um, I guess it still is morning, right? Sure. <laughs> um, I, was reading, I was reading this morning an article in one of the Israeli newspapers about the um, the miracle that's Israel. I, I write every few years um, a little column called Why I Love Israel. <laughs> We're on part 10 now or whatever it is, but um, little things that just mean so much. But this article went into full detail about um about what Israel has achieved, and um, and it talks specifically about what it achieved in the last year during the pandemic when the world was shut down, um, the entire world was shut down, and uh, Israel was able to achieve, you know, four peace treaties with countries that uh, that had never um, even thought about um, being close to Israel. They achieved vaccination of almost the entire population in record time. They achieved so much. They achieved dozens of companies um, becoming public at high, ridiculously high valuations. Um, they achieved the fact that uh, Iran um, probably fears Israel more than it fears any other country in the world, it achieved the fact that um, some of the countries, the reason why they're entering into peace treaties or non-aggression pacts, the ones that haven't yet come around to a peace treaty, is because they look at Israel as a defender. It's, um, it's amazing that the United States, whether on purpose or for other reasons, is not the number one defender of the countries in that area against the attack and the aggression of Iran. And everything you so, just said, they've achieved from a position of strength, which is also remarkable. Exactly right. And I think that, uh, you know, that's, it's what leaders like Menachem Begin always, you know, directed us to do. He always said that from strength uh, will come Israel. Remember many years ago when Begin was speaking to the House to the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, he basically said those exact same words to uh, to Joe Biden, who at that time was the chair of the Foreign Relations Committee, um, and obviously is now the president of the United States. And it's something that, uh, you know, when I speak to Israeli government officials, the first thing I tell them is just remember, Menachem Begin gave you direction. He told you which, which way you... You should go. You know, it's funny. So. I, th I thought of Begin when I read the quote from your uncle about a Jewish soldier never leaves his weapon. If there's one thing yeah. Be Begin taught us, and really that whole generation that fought in the War of Independence and that uh, on whose shoulders the state of Israel was built, including your uncle, if there's one thing they taught us, it's that enough is enough. Jews are no longer going to uh, uh, bow to the enemy. Jews are no longer going to be led to the slaughter after the tragedy of Europe. And after after seeing what the Jewish people have endured for uh, for all these uh, uh, all these generations and centuries, enough is enough. And sure enough, that's the attitude. Your uncle's attitude is the one that built the land and the one that built the state, because no longer yep. are we going to worry about um, about what the about what the enemy does. We're going to be there to make sure that they are uh, unable uh, to annihilate. 
to to uh, to to achieve their their goal to annihilate the Jewish people will not happen uh, anymore in this exactly. generation. And that's why exactly. I say that's why when I ask you what would Uncle Pinchas say today, I, I think that in addition to it being unbelievable and 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 you know who 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 could have envisioned as he's trying to survive and unfortunately is uh, is gunned down in the in the last days of the war. Uh, in addition to to all of that, in terms of um, you know who can believe that the state has gotten to this point, I think he he would say, "I am proud to see that Jews are ready to stand up for themselves. I am proud to see yeah. that that Jews have been there, both physically and diplomatically and politically, and in every which way that Jews are are ready, like you said in the in the um, in the shadow of Begin, uh, to uh, to stand up, to stand up and be." full of Jewish pride, and be prideful that we've built the state of Israel the way we have. Exactly. I think, you know, my uncle, um, when he was back in Poland, um, he was in a Beitar group that was led by Menachem Begin. So I am positive wow. that um, he's feeling very proud today. And what is it like, we said this yesterday because it's part of your piece, what is it like knowing that future generations visit him, visit his gravesite, visit him on a regular basis? Um, he's got to be very, very, very happy, very proud. His, um, yesterday, obviously I wasn't able to make it, but two years ago and a bunch of other years, I made it to his graveside, which is in Sfat. Um, but yesterday, my brother who lives in Israel and his son and, uh, one of my nieces went to the grave and, um, and were there for the ceremony. And it's powerful. It's one of the most powerful events I've ever been at, is to be at the grave of a soldier during Yom Hazikaron. It's really just an amazing thing. The sacrifices that have been made. And every you look around, you look around and you see people of all different generations mourning um, their soldiers. And it's, it's mesmerizing. Just incredible. Really? Well, we are obviously we're dedicating a today's celebration to Uncle Pinchas, as you probably assumed. And uh, thank you. I, I thank you for joining us and your story, meaning, you. me, meaning the Rosen family story, where where the assumption was there's nobody left, uh, and now you know generations have flourished. Is is the true story of Jewish history, and it's a, the miracle of Jewish history, and it's the celebration today. Of, uh, Thank you Jewish so history. much. This is means a lot to me, and it, it means a lot to all of us. But I really appreciate it. You know, this is um, it's it's a sad story, yeah. But it's a beautiful, miraculous story, and the fact that generations after are still, you know, paying tribute is pretty amazing. Yesterday, after your show, I would say probably twenty cousins. Wrote to me <laughs> about Uncle Pinchas. That's funny, and uh, there. And by the way, we should point out the obvious. There are a lot of Uncle Pinchases out there. There are a lot of people in that generation who gave their life for this, for the eventual state of Israel, and who, thank God, have either children, grandchildren, or nieces and nephews, and great nieces and great nephews who are now flourishing in the land. And we should remember that as well. It's not just one Uncle Pinchas, it's one he, no, there's, your relative. There's thousands. Who there's rep- thousands. Right, who we have, uh, in the same cemetery, is uh, buried a close friend of ours who was killed at 19 years old. 
um, in the uh, Lebanon War. Um, his name is Noam Yehuda, um, and his father, for a year or two, was um, the principal of North Shore Hebrew Academy, and his brother was a very close friend of mine. He was the younger brother, and um, he's buried in the same cemetery, so we're able to, every time we go for Yom HaZikaron, we're able to uh, stand together um, when the uh, when the sound is made. Um, you know, the, the sound that uh, brings us all to silence. Yeah, the sacrifices continued and unfortunately continue even after the establishment of the state. Phil Rosen, I thank you. Uh, we dedicate today's Yom Ha'atzmaut celebration. Yeah, it's a little bit somber, this conversation, folks. We get that, but there is a transition between Yom HaZikaron and Yom Ha'atzmaut, and now uh, we are in Yom Ha'atzmaut mode and wishing Israel a happy 73rd birthday um, uh, on this incredible Israel Independence Day. Phil Rosen, thank you. And Chag Sameach, Moadim Lusimcha, Ligula Shlema. Amen, amen. Thank you so much, and have a happy Yom Ha'atzmut, everybody. Chag Sameach. All dedicated to Uncle Pinchas. Thursday morning broadcast. It's Yom Ha'atzmut, everybody, here at JM in the AM. That was my conversation with Phil Rosen on Yom Ha'atzmaut. Uh, Rabbi Ari Rakoff joined us on Yom Ha'atzmaut from Religious Zionists of America to discuss our big event coming up April 30th and the amazing news that RZA Mizrahi is heading to Israel at the end of May. My conversation with Rabbi Ari Rakoff on JM Rewind on the Nahum Siegel Network. Uh, JM and the AM on this Yom Ha'atzmaut. Well, uh, I, I wanted to use the opportunity on Yom Ha'atzmaut to uh, highlight our friends at the Mizrahi, the RZA. Uh, th- there are a lot of topics that I could be discussing with her by Ari Rakoff this morning. As many of you know, we have an amazing relationship with Mizrahi, and that goes for World Mizrahi and, of course, the RZA here on this side of the planet. Uh, they are presenting our big Lagba Omer celebration, but I will not discuss that with him today. Uh, although I can report to everybody that as of yesterday... Uh, we have our general chairman for the event, Mr. Steve Adelsberg. I can't thank him enough. You remember him, of course, from all of our sports conversations and different things we've spoken about on the air. He was with us uh, right before Pesach about the Chesed Fund. Or I shouldn't say fund. The Chesed Campaign. Right? It wasn't a fund. It was a campaign. So thank you to Steve Adelsberg. And a big thank you, as I said yesterday, to Ralph Rosenbaum, who's filling the uh, role as a New Jersey chairman for the event coming up on the 30th of April. And again, Mizrahi presents that live musical extravaganza, which will bridge the gap between us and everybody around the world, because everybody will be watching, whether they're in Israel, America, or anywhere else in the diaspora, etc. Uh, so that's one thing. And then, of course, the rumor is that uh, once Mizrahi announced this uh, journey to Israel, which is going to be our focus in just a moment, uh, the rumor is that we would be uh, tagging along and broadcasting from Israel at the end of May. So far, that rumor is true. I only say it like that because you don't know what's going to happen with this whole COVID regulation thing, but we'll see what happens with that. And uh, and then, of course, many, many people enjoyed last night uh, all around this country and other countries as Mizrahi had speakers uh, doing the Yom Ha'atzmaut um, uh, uh, programs around the world via Zoom. Uh, we had one last evening for the Mizrahi of the East Side, and that's at uh, Mizrahi.org slash Israel 360. And then, well, you know what, I'll save the final piece because it's really a continuation of the big trip that's coming up next month. Rabbi Ari Rakoff, Executive Vice President of the RZA Mizrahi here in the United States. Welcome back to JM and the AM. Chag Sameach to you. <laughs> Thank you, Nachum. Good morning, Chag Sameach. I, uh, I'll, I'll say it this way. 
many, many people looked with tremendous skepticism when you announced that Mizrahi, RZA, would be the leaders in getting diaspora jury, specifically those from the United States, back to Israel. Uh, Some of us thought when you announced the trip there'd be zero response because people are so hesitant. Just a few weeks away, take a risk of planning a trip when who knows what the regulations will be and what the conditions will be like. Uh, Rabbi Ari Rakoff, you and the RZA decided to do so anyway. You announced the uh, the mission to journey home with RZA. And to tell everybody, like the AP has discovered, like Reuters has discovered, like the JTA has discovered, tell everybody in this audience what the reaction was to your announcement. Uh, the, re- the reaction has been tremendous, um, but I want to, um, first of all, thank you for uh, inviting me on this morning. Sure. Um, and so, yeah. it's really, it's, it's an honor. I think we spoke first when I began um, after Sukkot six months ago, and in that conversation um, discussed that Mizrahi is a movement. Um, Mizrahi stands for and has always stood for connection uh, and deep bonding to Israel. So for us, the decision uh, to get back home, the journey home, uh, was a no-brainer, and it still is a no-brainer even with the question marks that uh, that, that remain. Well, so what... the response has been tremendous. Oh, please go ahead. No, I was going to say the evidence you have that it's a no-brainer is—is is it true or not? Now you can tell us definitively because I've been alluding to it yeah. for, the last, for the last 48 hours. Is it true that trips completely sold out? Well, I would say um, sold out with quotes because the restrictions of COVID, of course, right. any, we, right. we will be following all protocols and procedures. We have um, collaborated with a, uh, a very, um, a very, very, um, uh, a tremendous a travel agency called Israel Destination, led by Ari Frankel. I believe you know him, Nachal? Sure, we know him from the uh, who Who's guiding us every step. Right. So we, every move we make, Behind the scenes, um, this was not an open, uh, an, an open program because we have to keep it very, very small initially. But yes, it's o- it's oversold, and that's really the goal, Malcolm. It's to oversell and get our whole community back home. That's yeah. really what this is about. Yeah. And and the truth is, anybody out there. And now, look, I mean, <laughs> the, now that this precedent has been established, and, and we, please God, are actually going to get back to Israel on the backs of. The RZA, which is remarkable um, uh, to have a, a leading organization lead American jury back to Israel. Uh, for those of you interested, um, uh, they're obviously going to be the experts in how to deal with all the rules and regulations for this summer, as Ari just described. Uh, and you know what? Another, another th- and let me just announce the address, and then I'll tell you another thing that I've discovered, Ari. Um, the address is rza.org slash journey home. rza.org slash journey home. There's a lot of things we could discuss this morning. This is the one thing we're doing this morning. When Ari's in studio with us, hopefully in the next week or two, we'll have a chance to go through some of the uh, other things that are happening. But right now, it's rza.org slash journey home. rza.org slash journey home. One of the things I discovered once you announced the trip and I was speaking to people about it, people who never want to be part of a formal tour. People who just want to go to Israel and, you know, enjoy dining out and seeing relatives and, you know, traveling on their own. It is those people now that are telling me they want a real tour. People who haven't been there in two, three, four years for obvious reasons, especially for the ones that, you know, haven't been there for the last 14 months. And now they want to reconnect with the land by seeing some of the sites, by checking out the new attractions, things that they, you know, would not have seen a couple of years ago. 
and by you know getting in as much as possible, which is what happens, of course, on a tour. You just you know you load up the day with as many things as possible. I think it's one of the reasons for your success. By the way, I think more and more people in our community want to go back to Israel in a formal manner and really reconnect with the land. Absolutely, and I think you know, this is probably the first time in in all of our lives that we can recall being separated from Israel for such a long time. Yeah. Uh, many of us have been privileged to study there, to visit for, for holidays, visiting relatives, celebrating milestones. So uh, a year plus. Nahum, when was your last trip there? January of 2020. It is 15 months ago, and, wow. and, and I feel it every day at this point. Uh, it, is a, it is a longing that I wish every diaspora Jew had. And we try to convey that through these airwaves and get people to, you know, to, to, to pay attention to their own feelings of disconnection from Israel. Uh, but on a day like today, celebrating Yom Atzimut, what a difference, what a difference that our brothers and sisters in Israel are on the streets of Israel celebrating in every city. And we are here not only, you know, with a mild celebration compared to theirs, but we are here with the inability to actually travel to Israel, something that is, I would say, I, I don't know if I say if it's unprecedented in, in Jewish history, but to a degree it is, because people have always been able to make an effort and, and actually get there some way, shape, or form. But but we're we're we're, sure. we're, we're approaching levels of unprecedented in Jewish history. Thursday morning, we're celebrating Yom Atzmud. Nachum Siegel, Mayor Weingarten, and Ari Rakoff. Rabbi Rakoff is with us. He's, of course, the Executive Vice President of the RZA. All right, look, we're going to have a chance over the next couple of weeks, and certainly you'll join us. I know Lagba Omer morning, quite obviously, uh, because on the on the presentation side, it's you guys who are the uh, key sponsors of our event, which we very much appreciate. And one of the things that I'm happy about is I think a lot of people in Israel are going to be watching that event because it's going to be Friday afternoon, Lagba Omer in Israel. So I think it's going to uh, bring a tremendous amount of, uh, of attention. So we'll have a chance to talk then and other points in the next few weeks. Uh, but today it's all about the journey home. Today it's about that RZA Mizrahi had a concept that they could actually plan a trip. Even <laughs> you planned this trip even at a time when <laughs> when the restrictions were in full gear, and uh, you could plan this trip and and get to Israel in a responsible manner during the month of May. You're reuniting, reconnecting, and celebrating with Israel. It's a sold out journey, and now we call everyone's attention to the website rza.org slash journey home, rza.org slash journey home. Because I'm assuming that, again, based on the experience of this journey, Ari, uh, people are going to want to hop on and be part of one of your journeys uh, during 2021, uh, both in terms of the content and in terms of just they'll know that everything's taken care of on both ends in terms of COVID restrictions, protocols, et cetera. So I I hope people take advantage and that uh, those trips start to be – planned on the calendar are you i mean I, I would assume you guys are looking at this summer to to bring as many groups as possible right absolutely absolutely we've been uh, as, as you said flooded with interest and you know it's interest in in the journey home permissions it's it's the it's the flooded with interest to join and and collaborate and uh, and i want to uh, thank everyone for, for for doing so because i really think this is a moment sometimes absence makes the heart grow fonder, and I think the yeah. longing that you referred to earlier is something we can all feel, and it's real, especially on a day like today. So yeah. I encourage everyone to uh, to reach out, to be in touch, and to be to be part of the Mizrahi movement. Yeah, my, my heart couldn't be any fonder, frankly. Simple as that. <laughs> uh, in, in, Thank you. Information about all of this. Remember, there's a lot to talk about with RZA, and we witnessed 
we witnessed a complete burst of energy at World Mizrahi a couple of years ago. And when I walked into Rabbi Daron Peretz's office for the first time, I expressed to him the skepticism about him being able to bring a burst of tremendous Zionist energy to World Mizrahi, and he proved me wrong. I did the same thing with Rabbi Ari Rockoff. He took this job, and I, I looked at him skeptically and said, I don't know if there's a 2021 burst of energy for the uh, religious Zionists of America, for the Mizrahi movement here in the United States. Well, in the first half a year that he's been doing this, he has proven me wrong, and they are following in the example of World Mizrahi, of not just being an important organization, which they've always been, uh, but really being energized during this period of time, and that is wonderful to see. It's also wonderful to be part of. We, we look forward to being with you over the next couple of months on all these special projects, Ari. And I wish Thank you, you. I wish you a Moadim Gulash Lema. Happy Yomatz Mode. Thank you. And keep it going. And we'll talk more about this, about the journey and more uh, coming up on JM in the AM. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thursday morning, it's our Yomatz Mode special. That was my conversation with Rabbi Ari Rockwell. Rabbi Hanoch Teller joined me recently to discuss his new podcast. Here's my conversation with Rabbi Teller on JM Rewind here at the Nahum Siegel Network. A gentleman who's always connected to the Holy Land because he's based in the holy city of Jerusalem, and he happens to be in the United States now for a few days, but he'll be heading back to Jerusalem soon, is Rabbi Hanoch Teller, who has uh, big news in uh, his audio world. Usually, usually with Rabbi Teller, we have big news in his literary world and big news in his video world, his visual world. Today we have uh, an additional piece of news, this one from his audio world. Rabbi Hanoch Teller, an honor to welcome you back to JM in the AM. Oh, thank you so very much. And uh, by the way, this dovetails perfectly with your whole intro, because uh, my podcast, that's what you're referring to, called Teller from Jerusalem, which can be found on any, on any platform, is all about the early struggle to build the state of Israel. So those of you who really want to have a, a connection to understand a little better the state of Israel, uh, I would recommend you go there. Uh, the podcast is called Teller from Jerusalem. As Rabbi Teller just mentioned, it's available on all the traditional podcast platforms. He does encourage, as do we, uh, that everybody subscribe to it, listen to it, and anything, as he just uh, indicated, that connects us to Jerusalem and to the Holy Land is of great value, especially now during this uh, very interesting era that we are in. Um, I don't, I, and I said this earlier during the show, and again, it, it may be more difficult for yourself, for you, who's who's normally entrenched in Jerusalem and has been more entrenched <laughs> in Jerusalem over the last year than normally. Uh, it might be more difficult for you to relate to this, but I don't know of a period of time in the last 73 years, and I could even make the argument that it's way earlier than just 73 years when Jews in the diaspora felt this disconnected to the Holy Land. It was easier, follow my logic, everybody, it was easier in the early part of the 20th century, but from talking about before World War II, it was easier to get to the Holy Land, and again, the word easier in quotation marks, people have to understand what I mean by that, than it is now for someone in the diaspora to get to the Holy Land. What, what is your philosophical uh, observation, Rabbi Teller, about my observation? I don't know if this really qualifies within the rubric of philosophy, but the fact of the matter is, is that prior to, uh, well, from the time of the execrable white paper, it was illegal, more or less, to get into Israel, the British were guarding. Right. And then prior to that, the Turks made it all but impossible to come into Israel. 
And but now it's the Israeli government, the Ministry of Health, which makes it illegal for one to come to Israel because of their caring concern for Israeli citizens. Right. How so unusual. The, huh? end, the people who are keeping you out are are, are, are the good guys. Yeah. I, no, I get that. So now, so basically, my theory has um, uh, has more. You've hope. been substantiated, by the way. It has or has not. You've been substantiated, in fact, corroborated. Oh, okay. I appreciate that because I thought, based on on your initial comment, I thought uh, you were trying to emphasize how people were, in fact, shut out from heading to the Holy Land in the early part of the 20th century. Even with the British and the Turks, there were people who somehow made it there. Correct. Correct. That's amazing, I'll tell you. And now we're in this era, and we are trying, as we've always done for the last 35-plus years, to bridge the gap between the diaspora and Israel. But now it says... as desperate a task as ever, because I fear that as time goes on and this separation continues, that it'll be harder and harder for the average diaspora Jew to again reacquaint themselves with the Holy Land. Those who, uh, although again, especially because of our friends at the Mizrahi and what we spoke about earlier this morning, I know there are plenty of people, myself included, desperate to get back. I think there's a category of people, however, who had made plans to visit at some point, who had made plans to focus on the Holy Land at some point, and I think their interest may be waning. So we are in a very sensitive and, I believe, historically precarious period of time when it comes to the relationship between diaspora jury and the state of Israel. That's interesting, Nachum. You're always so upbeat. And here you have such a level of a timber of such gravity in your voice, which I cannot deny. There's a remarkable story that Rav Dessler writes in his most famous of all essays, Kuntras Chesed. He writes about it. Rav Dessler's very famous principle is, is that the more you give, the more you love. There's a, what's called in Yeshiva terminology, a chakira. Chakira means an analysis. In other words, what is a zebra? Is it a black horse with white stripes? Or white horse with black stripes. In Yeshiva, we could spend years on this. Right, you know, right. <laughs> so if Dessler asks, what does love emanate from? Is it because you love, you give? Or because you give, you love? And he proves hermetically that love emanates from giving. And then he relates a story. It's a remarkable story, which goes like this. There was a couple that was uh, separated during the war. He's referring to World War II. Scratch. He's re- yeah, it's World War II. One ended up in Australia, he doesn't say where, one ended up in Australia, the mother and the daughter, and the father and the son were then separated. And after the war, they found that they could not, when there was such a wonderful, you know, reunion, they got together again, but they couldn't pick up the pieces where they had left off. The mother was not able to relate to the son the way she had before, nor the father to the daughter. Could it be, he asks, that when she left the boy, he was a little boy and now he's a strapping lad? He said, no. What happened is, is that love emanates from giving. And all that time of absence, the boy was being taken care of by his father, and the little girl was taken by his mother, and that's why they couldn't get back, because that giving which was absent could not make up for all the time. What people are unaware of is Revesta is writing something autobiographical. What happened was his wife went with his daughter to Europe, back to visit family in Kelm. The war broke out, and they made it Bederich, Shaloderich, to Australia, and Rav Dessler made it, it was in England, and his son went to America. He's referring to himself. And so I hear this, these ominous tomes of what you're saying is that, uh, but as long as American Jewry maintains their connection of giving to Israel, then the love will still be there. I, I hear that, but you know, you made me think that when someone, and I don't think it's an unusual situation, let's say a, 
a young man or woman as a student goes to a different country, studies there for a few years, and then returns home. I know there's WhatsApp, and I know there's FaceTime and everything else, but I would argue that it's probably going to be a different relationship when they get back to their family than when they left. That is precisely the investor's point. Yeah. No, I get it. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and bringing it now to this national level, it's funny because in a way, and I know this from my personal experience, I pine and I yearn to land back in Israel uh, to the point that I may, you know, make every effort once I walk outside to kiss the ground in Israel. That's how much I miss it after 14 months. Last time I was there was January of 2020. But mm-hmm. I think so. I think there's that category of people, and I think there's the other category that we're now touching on: uh, people who are, I don't know, casual lovers of Israel, people who <laughs> who focus on Israel in a different way, maybe as not on a with the regularity that some of us do, and. Again, using the example of somebody like a birthright student who had planned, I'm going, I'm excited, and now, you know, life has taken a different turn, they, and it's very possible they'll just never go now at this point. And I, and I worry about that group terribly, and the example you gave is, is so poignant. Wow. And there's other reasons to be concerned insofar as that in American environment is much more toxic insofar as uh, support for Israel. Right. Certainly more toxic than it used to be, I can tell you that much. When I was a little boy, I mean, I'm 27, but when I was a little boy, yeah, why is that so funny? Because I know, uh, because I know why you're here in America, and, uh, <laughs> and that would be difficult to believe when you have a big simcha today. But go ahead. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so uh, I remember I, I grew up in a non-Jewish neighborhood, and during the Six Day War, everybody, yeah. I was, again, I was a little boy, but everybody was pro-Israel. Yeah. We're not in that situation today. What city I mean, did you grow up in? Stanford, Connecticut. Wow. Oh, so you, you know a lot of people than I know. I bet. Anyway, <laughs> so I bet that anyways. But I, that's true. Um, but and also, uh, and and not to get too political, but as as I'm sure you know, even before you arrived on these shores for your most recent visit, uh, there's a toxic in atmosphere in general going on here that's uncomfortable. You know, forget for a moment specifically the Jewish community in Israel. Just in general, there's there's a there's such a an air of uncertainty which makes life somewhat uncomfortable for many of us in this country. Um, and that's something to consider now also. You have all these things, you have all these things converging at once, which makes for a very interesting uh, period of time that we're living through right now. And for many people, a scary period of time, frankly. Rabbi Hanoch Teller is with us. The podcast is called Teller from Jerusalem. How many episodes have you done already? Uh I don't even know. Meaning, I, I imagine there's seven or eight that are aired. Uh, we've already pre-recorded twenty. It sounds that uh, it's amazing how much work. I mean, I thought my history is my strength, and we're talking about the birth of Israel and that early struggle to build the state. Right. Uh, but it's amazing. I, I'm telling you a, an absolute fact. Every single episode, which is only twenty minutes, takes me over sixteen hours to prepare. That's it. <laughs> I, I, I know this industry very well. I'm shocked it's only 16 hours. You must be an, ex- oh, you must you. be an, ex- you must be an experienced you. person in general, frankly. And, and by the way, I'm only half kidding because I get it that it takes 16 hours to prepare 20 minutes. Uh, the most recent episode you recorded, give me the theme. Like, what was it? Was it about a specific hero, a specific episode? Like, ha- uh, let me know I'm the approach of this. I think we're, we're, we're basically discussing the Balfour Declaration. Mm-hmm. And it's like reading a uh, – it's like the Megillatis there. There's just so many heroes that came out of nowhere and things right. that happened. And it happened that yeah. Weizmann discovered uh, acetone, which was critical for the British government in their right. war effort. Acetone, we know, is nail remover. Right. It's also critical for 
for ammunition, and Britain desperately needed it. They usually had it imported it from Germany. They couldn't get it from Germany. Obviously, they were fighting Germany. They couldn't get it from America because there were U-boats. And they had to desperately need, they needed 90 million gallons. And so young Winston Churchill turned to uh, this professor, Dr. Chaim Weizmann, can you help me? Instead of fainting, I need 90 million gallons. He got to work, and he, he turned out this artificial acetone from chestnuts. And that made him in a key position to be, you know, they were beholden to him. Uh, and there's just one player after another player that was instrumental, including Ruf Koch, who happened to have been, he said he was exiled from Israel. He had gone to Europe to try and encourage Agudat Israel, which had their, their, their kinus in, in, in Switzerland. Right. He went there to be... Uh, to speak in their behalf, to try and get them more encouraged to be pro-Israel. The war broke out. The conference never took place. He then traveled to England, and he was able there. There was some... Everyone in England was sort of pro-Balfour, the pro but the British parliamentarians that were Jewish were always afraid, the problem of always a Jewish parliamentarian, of a Jewish person in office, is afraid that would look like dual loyalty. So if Cook was able to influence, you know, assert his influence on Anglo Jewry, and many people who were in the wrong place at the right time... Uh, we're able to be involved in this. So it's one episode after another, pardon the term episode, <laughs> of how things we don't expect happened, which are so instrumental in building the state. You know, and many unsung heroes. I, I, you know what tomorrow night is, obviously, 73rd birthday, or being observed as the 73rd birthday of the state of Israel. Uh, it, it's sometimes, uh, and Mayor Weingarten and I always discuss this on the air, if only, if only people, um, uh, at the minimum, if people would at least acknowledge the miracle, the miraculous um, uh, moves of history, right? Chess moves, uh, from the one above, uh, of history that went into um, this day. I'm not, I'm not saying everyone's got to sing songs and say Hallel and, and observe and, and, and shave tomorrow night. I'm not going into all that, you know, although I think all those are legitimate positions. All I'm saying is I wish every Jew around the world understood what type of miracle it was that you're describing in these podcasts. Okay, yeah, so I'm referring, this is an unabashed plug for this, because uh, it took a lot of work. It, you cannot know unless you know the history. You can't right. go fu understand the future unless you understand the past. Yeah. And we're going through it. My strength is history and stories, and we weave it together well to present this picture of what happened that we cannot know. And we need to appreciate a miracle, which is not so long ago. Rabbi Beryl Wine tells a story. And I know this because I know my father's a Chalavracha. He was of that age, you know, one who came over from Europe. Yep. He tells that in Chicago Coliseum, and, uh, when, Israel, <laughs> when Israel became a state, he said there were 20,000 people inside and 40,000 people outside. And he said they raised the flag, Israeli flag, up the rafters of Chicago Coliseum. He said, there, he, and Rabbi Berowine said in his great dry humor, as far as I'm concerned, they should have stopped the program right then and there before the speeches. Right. But before right. the flag was at half-mast going up, the <sighs> whole place was doubled over crying because they understood what it meant to have finally a state of Israel. If only 15 years earlier there would have been such a place which could have been a refuge and a haven for Jewry. Wow. This was the perfect day to have you on. As uh, again, we have proven God is the ultimate producer. Um, <laughs> the the podcast, and I wish I had more time for you. Frankly, the, the podcast is Teller from Jerusalem. Check it out. All your uh, uh, your high quality traditional podcast platforms are by Hanoch Teller. It's the latest 
um, uh, the latest weapon in his repertoire of trying to get people to know Jewish history and try to get people to understand where we come from and where we're going. Uh, again, the podcast is called Teller from Jerusalem. And those of you not familiar with everybody, Teller's works. And of course, I find it hard to believe that there's anybody like that. But just in case, you can Google him and see just how many books he's written, how many great stories he's told, and how many wonderful lectures and videos he has delivered. And I take this opportunity, everybody, Teller, to wish you a mazal tov on today's simcha. Thank you very and- much for joining together with our, with our children. Thank you for being active participants, and thank you for the wonderful interview. I appreciate this. Uh, my pleasure. Um, check out Rabbi Hanoch Teller's website, Google him, and check out the brand new podcast, Teller from Jerusalem. Always a pleasure and honor to speak with him here on JM and the AM. That was my recent conversation with Rabbi Hanoch Teller. Up next, Dr. Mira Hellman Ostrov from Joma. We discussed the efficacy of the COVID 19 vaccine and the importance of it being uh, given out and distributed in our community. Dr. Mira Hellman Ostrov of Joma here on JM Rewind on the Nahum Siegel Network. Well, our friends at Joma, Jewish Orthodox Women's Medical Association, have given us an amazing opportunity over the last few weeks to spread the word. Uh, with their uh, expert uh, guests, their expert interviewees about the importance of the COVID-19 vaccine. And I I pray that we're making a big difference in the community. There are people, and I hear more about this each day, there are people in our community who are skeptical. There are people in our community who are uh, taking the avenue of avoidance. Uh, But I would hope that everyone out there would understand the importance of getting vaccinated uh, both for yourselves and the greater community. With us live via telephone is Dr. Mira Hellman Ostrov, board certified in obstetrics, gynecology, and gynecological oncology. Uh, her career is focused on academics and has always taught medical students and residents. And currently, she works at the John Thur Cancer Center at Hackensack University Medical Center and is an assistant professor through the Hackensack Meridian School of Medicine. She serves on the residency review committee is the specialty clinical instructor for minimally invasive surgery. She's a certified intuitive instructor and instructs other surgeons in robotic surgery and functions as a surgical consultant for Ethicon Surgical. She's very active in research and is a primary investigator on several ongoing research projects. She enjoys helping with community outreach and serves as secretary of the JOMA Board of Directors. Dr. Mira Hellman Ostrov, a pleasure to welcome you to JM in the AM. Good morning. Thank you for the opportunity to be here. Uh, we have a, a very interesting community. <laughs> That's how I would put it. We have a community of people that I, I think is split. I wouldn't say it's an even split, and there's obviously some gray area, but there are people that we meet in our community who are enthusiastically going to get vaccinated and cannot wait to be holding that vaccination uh, confirmation card. And there are others, as I say, who are either skeptical or are taking the avenue of avoidance or procrastination. Um, waiting to see, I'm not sure what they're waiting for, but just waiting to see how things develop. From your vantage point, from your vantage point as a medical professional, from your vantage point as somebody who has been part of some important events so far and more events coming up uh, that are directly speaking to the community about this issue, how would you view our community's response to the advent of a COVID-19 vaccine? Well, I, you know, I'm not an epidemiologist, and my observations are purely empirical. But um, I would say that our community is is no different than a lot of other communities. 
there's definitely split opinion. Some of the opinions, uh, some of people's opinions are developed based on the personal experience. Unfortunately, we know a lot of people suffered tremendous losses over the past year, uh, especially in the months of March and April of last year. Um, and there have been, unfortunately, some losses during the second surge this winter. Um, so some of that shapes people's opinions. Other people who maybe weren't as directly affected are a little more skeptical. Um, unfortunately, there's a lot of information available through social media, through the Internet, through other venues, some of it reliable, some of it not. And honestly, for a person in the public, it's sometimes very hard to decipher what to believe and what not to believe. Um, so that's why we're here to try to help. Um, but the community as a whole, um, I think, is, is very similar to other communities. Some people are very pro and some right. people are skeptical. How did it go? Uh, how, did it, how did it go this past Sunday night? Because Sunday night was, I, I think, the first major town hall on this issue. If there were others, you could let me know. But and I know there are others coming up, which we'll discuss. But Sunday night, uh, April the 11th, uh, uh, some very high quality medical personnel addressed this issue. Uh, did it attract the big crowd? Did it attract major interest from the Jewish community? Well, uh, I have to say, Baruch Hashem, Sunday night's event was very, very, very successful. Um, we had a magnificent panel of speakers. Um, we had Dr. Nora Barzev, who is uh, a professor at Johns Hopkins University Medical Center involved in the vaccine development. We had Dr. Ellie Carmody Stone, who I believe you spoke sure. to. Very impressive. Um, who is, yes, who is um, infectious disease at NYU Medical Center, and she's right. heavily involved in a lot of the treatment clinical trials um, for COVID-19, including the hydroxychloroquine and remdesivir. Um, and uh, we had Dr. Richard Grazi, who's well-known in the community as an infertility specialist. Um, and the moderator was Dr. Elisa Minkin, also very heavily involved in the COVID vaccine education. Um, we had, so it was a wonderful panel. Uh, the event itself lasted for approximately two hours. Wow. Um, we had thousands of viewers, wow. um, and the views are still coming in. The Actually, the event is available to view for anybody who wants it's available on youtube the entire thing um and we still have people by the hundreds coming and clicking and viewing it um the way we organized the town hall was people were submitting questions in advance and we tried to the best of our ability to address all them but there were so many questions um really just demonstrating people's concerns and confusions and we tried to the best of our ability to answer as many questions as possible, and I hope we did that. Um, we've gotten tremendous positive feedback. Um, people from the community uh, who have told us they've appreciated We've had numerous um, numerous messages from people who have told us that the, an- the question and answer uh, format of the session answered their questions directly, and they're signing up to get vaccinated, which to us is the the, the Biggest positive reinforcement yeah. we could have ever asked big, for. Big victory, um, big victory yeah. to say the least. You know, it's funny as a pro vaxxer, uh, and I, I apologize for interrupting, but I just want to mention as a pro vaxxer, it, it, it's hard for someone like me to understand the reluctance. Uh, but as you just pointed out, there, you know, people come from so many different angles. Whether it's a personal experience, things they've been, uh, you know, legitimate things that they've been taught or have, the, you know, discussed with others, you know, over the years, et cetera, et cetera. Like we, we, we forget those of us who are, you know, ready and and you know and committed to get vaccinated as soon as possible. We forget just how many different influences there are out there and how people want answers to questions before they proceed on something as serious as this. A hundred percent. And that's why we've tried very hard 
to express to people we are not here to force anybody right. to take the vaccine. Just we're educate. not pushing that. We're here to answer your question. Right. So you can make the right decision for you. Do we believe that we, the vaccine is 100% beneficial and we should take it? Yes, but we're here to answer questions so people can feel comfortable with the decisions that they made. Dr. Mira Hellman-Ostrov is with us live via telephone. The 11th, the, the event that took place on April 11th that we referenced, go to joma.org slash COVID-19 and uh, you will see there literally the video. You don't have to even go to YouTube. You'll literally see the video right there uh, featuring the medical personnel that um, uh, Dr. Hellman-Ostrov uh, mentioned. And you'll be able to see the entire presentation. Just go to joma.org slash COVID-19, joma.org slash COVID-19. And now that we've discussed the past, let us discuss the future. There'll be a live stream town hall specifically for Kala teachers, doulas, and mikvah attendants. Again, answering your questions on the issues of COVID-19 vaccines, fertility, pregnancy, etc., Dr. Donnie Lent-Halpern is going to present. Dr. Alyssa Hellman is going to present. And this is all happening on uh, the 18th of April, uh, which is um, uh, this coming Sunday. That's number one. There's also a live stream town to call for healthcare professionals with Dr. Valerie Altman, Dr. Dorit uh, Reese Rubenstein, Dr. Mark Mulligan. And that's happening on Tuesday, the 20th of April. Um, and that introduction, by the way, is being done by uh, Dr. Alan Kadish, who's the president of Turo College. Let's start with the first event. Let's start with this coming Sunday. Why is it necessary to have a specific town hall for college teachers, doulas, and mikvah attendants? Well, as part of the unfortunate part of the COVID pandemic, obviously mikvah attendance was something that came into question uh, in terms of how to allow people to go to the mix I yet be safe right. um, during the time of the pandemic. And I was actually, uh, you know, as many of us at Joma were involved with helping with the mikvah guidelines for our community um, and working with um, mikvah.org and um, uh, attendants throughout the country and even internationally in terms of helping them uh, with designing safe mikvah guidelines. Now, as the we have something that we can address, uh, that we can use to address the pandemic. We have the vaccine. Uh, questions come up. Questions come up in terms of pe- people's vaccinated status, um, whether or not did we have to have the same stringent requirements in the mikvah. Uh, there have been, and this was touched upon briefly at the town hall, there have been some reports of uh, potentially abnormal um, spotting mikvah questions related to the vaccine itself, which may arise. So wow. this is a very sensitive topic. Yes, this is a very sensitive topic um, that really, as we know, for most Orthodox people, heavily impacts their life. Um, and we we wanted to have a dedicated session to address all these questions to allow people uh, to obtain the vaccine as easily as possible, not to have uh, any concerns that this will affect their mikvah status, and to help mikvah attendants um, design the mikvah guidelines in a safe manner for people who are vaccinated, who are not vaccinated, um, and how to keep things open and running safely. Well, Kala Kavod and the post-gim had to, you know, really pay careful attention, obviously, to this area, both in terms of mikvah setup, as you described, and specific situations that are coming up uh, for women, which I wasn't even aware of until you just mentioned that. Plus, on top of that, as it says in the intro for the event, I mean, there are people with questions about the vaccine for those who are in fertility treatment, vaccine for those who are pregnant at the moment or trying to get pregnant. And and those are important questions as well that I'm sure will be addressed that night. 
hundred percent. Those questions were also addressed um, during the town hall meeting on Sunday night. Right. Uh, for anybody who would like to go and review them, uh, that was discussed pretty extensively as well. At all that right. Time. So this is all happening on the eighteenth, uh, Sunday, April the eighteenth. It starts at eleven a.m. Uh, and um, and that is uh, for information. You can just go to the Joma website, J O W M A. And again, that's a special live stream town hall for college teachers, doulas, and mikvah attendants on all these specific issues. Uh, a great service to the community that's being provided. Then on the twentieth of April, you're doing one specifically for healthcare professionals. I'm assuming that's doctors, nurses, those who find themselves in hospital and medical office situations. Why a separate one for that category? Well, there is, as you can, uh, you will hear from people who educate educators, there, the questions that come up are slightly different, perhaps mm-hmm. not as much directly related to some of the side effect questions, more as to how to talk to your patient about it, how to answer your patient's questions about it, what people's personal experiences have been with questions that were posed to them. So it's a slightly different approach that helps healthcare providers help their patients right. feel comfortable and answer their questions appropriately. Mm. And one of the panelists, actually, Dorit Rubenstein, uh, she's very interestingly, she's a lawyer, but she deals a lot with vaccine hesitancy. Um, and the reason why we have her on the panel is because she is extremely familiar with the vaccine hesitant world, and we're here to help healthcare providers know that side of it so that they're prepared to answer the questions appropriately when their patients come in. Wow. All right. So that's also uh, obviously for for that specific group, that specific category. Information about that Tuesday event, the twentieth of April. You can go to joma.org again, joma.org. And in general, I just want to remind everybody out there. Uh, the Joma website is a is chock full of information regarding the COVID nineteen vaccine in general. Plus, of course, the videos we mentioned, etc. Uh, if you go to their website, joma.org slash COVID nineteen, you'll see the video. If you go to joma.org and click on the tab at the top that says Patient Edu, uh, Patient Education, you'll also see a whole bunch of material there uh, that's key uh, as it relates to um, a COVID-19. And uh, Dr. Mira Hellman-Ostrov, I would assume that you would enthusiastically recommend, based on your medical knowledge, that people who are hesitant seriously consider getting the vaccine, both for the benefit of themselves, their family, and our community. I'm a big proponent of the vaccine. Um, I do think that people, if that people should obtain the vaccine. I think it will help them. I think it will help the community. I think it will help the world as a whole get back to normal. Um, But personal individual decisions regarding obtaining the vaccine obviously need to be discussed with your personal health care provider who knows your medical history. And uh, finally, I just wanted to mention, I'll tell you why I'm mentioning it. There's There's a Jewish Orthodox Women's Medical Association JOMA event Coming up on Sunday, April the 25th, again, it's on the website. People can find it. It's called After the Reproductive Years, uh, a very distinguished panel. Um, Dr. Poland, Dr. Weinerman, Dr. Moses will all be discussing general health and screening after childbearing years, menopause symptoms and treatment, osteoporosis and prevention, which you know is, we, we all know is a big deal when women uh, reach a certain age, uh, urinary incontinence, uh, pelvic organ prolapse, all these issues. And the reason I'm bringing it up, Dr. Uh, uh, Helman Ostrov, 
toward the end of our conversation is just to remind this audience that Joma does cover a lot of areas that are not COVID-19 related. Uh, it's very impressive, the group that has been put together um, at, at Joma to help our community uh, to address a whole host of medical issues, and this is just one example of it. Well, thank you very much for bringing that up, Nahum. This is something that we're very heavily vested in and helping the community with all aspects. We do have a lot of seminars. We have tons of podcasts addressing many, many different topics and issues, um, and we're, we're here to help. Can I ask you to do one more thing before uh, we wrap up this conversation, Dr.? Um, some, some people know that I have uh, a vested interest in what I'm about to say because I have a daughter who is uh, uh, in the healthcare uh, education industry, meaning, you know, in the course of study uh, to become a healthcare professional. And I think she's going to be a great healthcare great. professional. Um, uh, in fact, I think she's actually written for one of the groups of, uh, of, um, uh, of Jewish healthcare professionals about her experience in school. But anyway, uh, your resume is extremely impressive. And, you know, I grew up in an era where there were a handful of women in the medical profession, and obviously it's a much, much larger group now. Could could I just ask you to address to the young women in our community, especially the Orthodox community, just how rewarding uh, a career this is and uh, just how much one can accomplish? And obviously, Again, you know, women in our community, just like men in our community, I think, you know, have to lead a very balanced life in terms of juggling, you know, a million different things. But could you just address how rewarding it is to be able to serve our community and other communities in your capacity? Nohma, I can't express to you enough how much satisfaction is gained out of doing what we do. Um, It's very different, I think, than other careers. It's not a job. It's a mission. Um, and I think that anybody who feels strongly about health care, about helping people, about allowing people to live the healthiest and best life they can live, I think it's a phenomenal, phenomenal career choice. Can't thank you enough for that. Thanks so much for joining us today and continued success with Joma and with all those things that you do. I thank you for your support. Dr. Mira Helman-Ostrov, board member at Joma, board certified in obstetrics, gynecology, and gynecological oncology. And as we said earlier, somebody who is a... Uh, has an extremely impressive resume and is encouraging everybody in our community to seriously look at the COVID-19 vaccine and the benefits for you, for your family, and our community, um, and the worldwide community. Joma.org for information. J-O-W-M-A.org for information. That was my conversation with Dr. Mira Helman Ostrov. Thanks so much for tuning in. Another edition of JM Rewind next week. Meanwhile, our amazing programming continues right here on the Nahum Siegel Network.